Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a podcast on money, investing, and the economy, and why they matter. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 10. It's titled, You Will Never Be Rich, But You Can Live Like You Are. Now, that's kind of a kind of a downer of a note to start a podcast to say you, you'll never be rich. But hear me out, because I have a very specific definition of what rich would be. But in your mind, ask yourself the question, how much would you need in terms of assets, dollars worth, to consider yourself rich? Would you need $500,000, a million, five million, ten million, or even a hundred million? What, what's the amount? And, and, and ponder that because we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to define what I think it is. But first, let's focus and look at sort of how is wealth distributed throughout the United States. And we'll, we'll focus on the U.S. because that's where I could get the statistics. The, U, the U.S. Census Bureau does a study every two years where they factor how, sort of how wealth is distributed. And the most recent study was in 2012, and they found that the median household net worth in the United States was $68,000. Let's define a couple terms there. Median means the middle, and so half the households would have more, a net worth greater than 68000 half would have less. Net worth is simply a household's assets, their home, their cars, their furniture, less any debt that they might have. So, and by debt, it would be mortgage loans, it would be car loans, credit car loans. Also, as part of those assets would be any type of investment accounts, their 401k. So, Net worth is total assets, including investments and house, houses and such, less any debt, mortgages, credit cards. That's net worth. Median, the middle person had $68,000. That's all. And the median household had only $30,000 saved in their 401k. The median had $34,000 in their individual retirement account. Now, that, that would consider all age groups, but let's look at retirees. Retirees, those six, let's say 65 years and older, and those are the ones who are going to have to live off their investment portfolio and so should have saved throughout their life. And now, generally speaking, most will be living on their savings plus, four, four one, or plus Social Security. In their case, the median net worth of those 65 and older was $284,000, and which that might seem like a lot, but, but consider that, that an individual who's retired typically can only spend, kind of a rule of thumb is 4% per year, at least in the first year of retirement, 4%. So if you have $300,000, you can only withdraw about $12,000 on that, add Social Security of maybe $20,000, and then that, that person would need to live on $32,000 a year. That's kind of the median retiree. Could you live on $30,000? You might, you might well be, but that's kind of what the, the middle person is. Now, in the U.S., 13.5% of households have a net worth greater than a half million. Now, some people would consider a half million dollars wealthy. But again, let's, let's consider if, if you had $500,000, and you stopped working because you said, well, I'm wealthy. I'm going to live off of my assets that I have. Let's go back to that rule of thumb of 
In that case, 4% of 500,000 would be $20,000. Now, if you're before age early, well, you're not 65 years or older, or 62 really, you wouldn't be able to draw Social Security. The other thing to consider, if you're in your 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and you stop working and you're just going to live off your half million, you really probably should only spend about 3% of that amount, which would, would equate to 15000 So dollars a year to be able to spend. That's, that's not very much. And so I wouldn't necessarily consider $500,000 a net worth rich. What about a million? 5% of the population in the U.S. has a million dollars or more. 95% have less. Again, using our 4% rule, you'd be able to spend 40,000, 30 to 40,000 a year, 3 to 4%. That, that seems a little more doable, but you still have to budget. And, and that's the key. Wouldn't somebody that's, if we would say rich, wouldn't they be someone who wouldn't have to worry about budgeting and could spend freely? Keep that in mind when we, when we get to sort of the definition that I'm going to consider being rich. Now, U.S. Trust does another survey. So we're going to move away from the U.S. Census Bureau survey. U.S. Trust is a survey of the wealthy every year. And their study shows that 1.6% of the population or households have investable assets greater than or between two and three million dollars. So 1.6%. So we're getting to even smaller numbers. But the final number I want to focus on, which I think is the most interesting, is 0.2% of households have investable assets greater than ten million dollars. So 98.6%, eight, no, 90, let me think, let me do the math here. 99.8% of the population doesn't have $10 million. They have less than 0.2% or only 200,000 households in the U.S. have $10 million or more in investable assets. If you have $10 million, let's go back to that 3 to 4% rule. You could spend 300000 to $400,000 per year and and not outlive your money. In other words, it could last the rest of your life if, if you invested prudently. I would consider $10 million wealthy, maybe even $5 million, but it, in terms of being rich. But again, you can't just look at the pool of assets. You have to look at how much could you earn investing that. And, and if you listen to episode nine, we talked about investment Portfolios right now, expected returns are really under 5%. And one of the keys, when you have that kind of wealth, $10 million, you're not necessarily investing aggressively. You want to preserve your capital. And so your investment returns are going to be on the low side in the current environment of, of sort of 35 4%, unless you take a lot more risk. And so with $10 million, Realistically, you wouldn't want to spend more than 3% per year in order to ensure that that money doesn't run out. How would you spend $300,000 a year? Can it be done? I, mean, I would consider that wealthy. I had a client, though, that a number of years ago that had $20 million. 
they had built up a business and it, and kind of ironically, given some of the, uh, our early episodes, episode five, true cost of thing where I talked about how I don't shop at dollar stores, this particular client actually built up a business, a dollar store business, and they sold it for $20 million. It was kind of a windfall. They hadn't had wealth previously. And the couple insisted that they wanted to spend a million dollars a year. And they wanted an investment portfolio that could generate sufficient return and income so they could spend a million dollars a year. How would you spend a million dollars a year? That seems, that, that would, be, it would be challenging. They mentioned something about doing artwork and, and stuff, but that, that's what they wanted to do. But I, 20 million certainly is rich. 10 million is what we're going to use in today's podcast as the definition of rich. So 99.8% of the population is not rich. And, and I would be part of that 99.8%. And I suspect that we have no decamillionaires listening to today's podcast. So the odds of us being rich is about 0.2% based on our definition. Now, I've, I used to manage money, and I worked with a lot of college foundations and endowments, and they were staffed by boards. And often the way that this works is colleges want wealthy people on their boards because wealthy people give money to the colleges. And, so, and, and wealthy people want to be on the board, so it's kind of a quid pro quo. But as a result, I've known a number of very wealthy people that had assets, investable assets greater than $10 million. I've also known a, a number of hedge fund managers and other man, or individuals or professionals in the investment management business that had that kind of wealth, $10 million or more. And what I found is, is generally, as are, as are most people, they were pleasant, interesting, smart, but I also found that they weren't necessarily more pleasant, interesting, and smarter than those that were not, that had less than $10 million. And that, that's where I talk about, where I want to emphasize how difficult it actually is to achieve $10 million in net worth or in investable assets. It's, it's easy, not easy, it's doable if you are a high income earning professional, let's say you're earning $200,000 a year to even 300000 kind of as a household between your, you and, and your spouse or, or your partner, to be diligent savers, be wise spenders, and over a period of consistent saving 20, 20, 20 25 years to accumulate 2 to $3 million dollars in your retirement nest egg. That, that can be done. Or even a million dollars or more, which it's, it's, it could be done. But think about how much you would have to save in order to accumulate $10 million. And, there are, and there's only 200,000 households in the U.S. that have been able to do it. And that is our dividing line, at least for today's podcast, between rich and not. Because $10 million and the more, you don't have to worry about budgeting because, again, you could spend three to $400,000 a year and not worry about running out of money. How do you get $10 million? Well, certainly some athletes that, that are extremely talented and work hard are able to achieve that, those that are at the pinnacle of the profession. What about other areas? What about art, 
artists? What about writers? What about actors? What about business professionals, financial professionals? What does it take? Is it just hard work? Is it just talent? I would suggest that there is a significant amount of good fortune and luck involved in reaching the $10 million threshold. There are thousands of very, very talented people, talented actors, talented writers that can write just exquisite novels, talented business professionals that can come up with really cool business ideas. And they'll be successful at what they do. But again, we're talking about how many are so successful that they reach $10 million in net worth? Not very many, or, or less than 200,000, 0.2% of the population. So when I say you'll never be rich, I'm not saying it's just not going to happen. What I'm saying is that the likelihood is very, very small. And instead of focusing on making goals to be rich, make other goals to be successful and to live like you are rich. And I'll explain what I mean by live like you are rich. But first, why does it even matter? Well, because the younger generations, and I would include myself in that, so the the millennials, Generation X, in 2007, the Pew Research Center conducted a poll uh, of these, these age cohorts, so generation, they called it Generation Next, so those that were ages 18 to 25, and 81% of that, of the, those poll, of those that were polled, said third generation's most important goal in life was to get rich. 81%, that, that was their goal. Now, they didn't, they didn't ask them to define rich, but for our podcast, we've said it's $10 million or more because that's what it takes to live without having to worry about running out of money and to live without a budget. 81% of that 18 to 25-year-olds felt that their most important goal in life was to get rich. 62% of Generation X, so ages 26 to 40, those that were 26 to 40 in 2007, said their generation's most important life goal was also to get rich. So more than half. So, which is sort of a conundrum because, and again, this is back in 2007, so pre-near global recession at seven years ago, they were younger, but the odds of getting rich, even in 2007, at a $10 million threshold, were still very, very low, and yet that was their primary, they felt that was their generation's most important life goal. It's actually a little sad, and and I'm hopeful that, that if they redid that poll, they would get a much lower response that other life goals would, would come to the forefront. Pew actually did release a new study of, of those age cohorts earlier this year, but they didn't bother to ask them the same question. I mean, why would you not do that? You should have asked, they should have asked, what is your most important life goal so we could see if it's changed? And, and they didn't do it. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tecovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business 
finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash david. That's netsuite.com slash david, netsuite.com slash david. So, summary, first half of the podcast is, it is extremely difficult to get rich in terms of $10 million or more in assets. And it takes more than talent and hard work. It's going to take some luck because there's a lot of talented, hardworking people. And talent and hard work will make you successful, but it won't necessarily make you rich in terms of $10 million rich. So the question is, well, how can we live rich? How can we live like we had $10 million and have the feeling and experience is of having $10 million without actually having the money. That seems like a more doable goal because most people will never achieve that. I know I'll never achieve that level of wealth, yet I would like to be able to live like I could and live in a way, and I've observed rich people enough to, to at least as well as I could, not being rich myself by our definition, to figure out what is it that how do we live in a way like we're rich? Let's start with housing. A couple years ago, a friend invited me to the Yellowstone Club. And, and the Yellowstone Club is a private residence club in Bozeman, Montana. Actually, south of Bozeman, Big Sky, Montana. It, it is a gated community. It is filled with members who, who are rich, have $10 million or more. Bill Gates has a house there. A number of other business professionals have houses there. There's some, I think, actors have houses there. And so this friend invited me to come look at his house and, and visit the Yellowstone Club. It, it's actually, I have their own private ski resort as part of this community. And I think just the entrance fee to join was several million dollars. So I... I admired his house and he drove me around and I looked at his other houses and and after being there I I just I wasn't comfortable because one what the, the goal here is not to look rich we want to feel rich and so that's very different so we think about what do you need in a house in order to feel rich and I and I've given this a lot of thought we we have built houses before we've remodeled houses and, and honestly, all you really need to feel rich in a house, it, it's a simple formula. And this is a formula I, I first read about in a book by Christopher Alexander. It's called The Pattern Language. And he, he gives all these different patterns for what makes a house or home livable. And so really what you need is, and this is going to seem a little silly, but the reality is you could be extremely happy in a house 
with only four rooms. Not four bedrooms, four rooms. But what you need in those rooms are large windows and you need a window on perpendicular walls. So you, would, you could have four corner rooms and those rooms would have windows on the outside or exterior walls. Think about it. Have you ever stayed in a hotel with a corner room? It has an entirely different feel, a much more luxurious feel, a, a sense of openness and light simply because there are windows on two walls. The same with a house. I've seen this. We, we rec- well, a year ago, somebody knocked on our door and offered to buy our house. And I thought, well, we want to downsize. So we sold our house and we bought a 1,500-square-foot house, so about half the size of the house we sold. And in order to open it up and to achieve that feeling of lightness and richness and wealth, we knocked a hole in the wall and put in a huge window so that we could have light on all three, really four walls. That's, that's one example of what it takes. You don't need a big house. You can live in a very small house, and if it's open to the outdoors, it has windows on perpendicular walls, it has light. That's all you need. There's a quote by Henry David Thoreau, and it is, Most men appear never to have considered what a house is and are actually, though needlessly poor, all their lives because they think that they must have such a one as their neighbors have. I could have gone to Yellowstone Club and looked at his houses and say, I really want a house. I want a big house. I don't want that. I, I'm happy in a house. I could have a smaller house than we, than we have now. Simply if the light is good and you get light by putting in windows, bigger windows on perpendicular walls. Same for apartment. When you look for apartment, look for apartment that has corner windows. If you can get a corner, it, it makes an incredible difference. What else can you do to feel rich? One, cars, transportation. Do you need an expensive car to feel rich? Cars are for transportation, but sometimes you just want to drive fast. And what I've done to do that is you can drive really fast in a 10-year-old car. I have a 10-year, a 2001 BMW 540i. It's fast. I, when I want to drive fast, then the speed limit, of course, I get in the car. It cost me $8,500. It has 110,000 miles. We don't need to feel rich, go out and lease an expensive automobile. Used cars last so much longer nowadays. You can live, you can drive a used car. You don't even have to drive a car. But if you like cars, because some people are car people, buy a used one. And if you want to drive a fast one, buy a used fast one. But it will save you a lot of money. What about travel? My son... Rich people like to travel. Wealthy people love to go on exotic adventures and stay in really nice hotels. You can hack travel and travel much cheaper. My son is in Japan right now. He is traveling in Japan and Korea for the entire summer, so about two and a half months. His budget is $2,000. So for three months, he is living in Japan and Korea for $2,000. In his case, he's staying with an organization called worldwide organic farmers so woof and so for this first three weeks in japan he lived with a buddhist a zen buddhist monk who was a ceramicist a potter and my son 
cut wood for this monk's kiln, and he, he pounded clay into powder, and he, and he had to work. He worked five or six hours a day, but then the other time, he, he'd hang out with this monk's friends and the monk, and they'd go visit places, and he got an inside look at Japan. Three weeks, it cost him nothing. He didn't have to spend any money in three weeks other than the train ticket to get there and the airfare. Now he's going on a different location, but you can travel very, very inexpensively and, and still feel rich and wealthy. No staying in four-star hotels or five-star hotels. We lived in Europe and Asia as a family of five for three months, simply renting homes through Airbnb. And, and what was fascinating about this is there were individuals who rented out their homes and then would go sit, stay with relatives. And why were they doing that? Because they, that's how they raised money so they could go travel around the world. And so the idea is to have the feeling of being rich through travel, through your house, through your car, but not doing it with the money. Another quote by Henry David Thoreau, because ultimately the feeling we're trying to achieve by living like we're rich is freedom. Thoreau said, what is it to be born free and not to live free? Now, what was Thoreau's secret to be able to do that? He said, now he worked, and I've mentioned in earlier podcasts, he worked four hours a day. But he said, so that he could have his afternoons free, his evenings free, to write poetry and visit nature. Here's the quote. I foresee that if my wants should be much increased, the labor required to supply them would become a drudgery. If I should sell both my forenoons and afternoons to society, as most people appear to do, I am sure that for me there would be nothing left worth living for. He managed to only work four hours a day because he kept his wants small. He loved the freedom. And that's what we can achieve in, in our lives by having smaller homes, but more windows on perpendicular walls, more light in, let the exterior, the outside in. We can keep our transportation costs low. We can travel cheaply by staying, renting houses through Airbnb or even doing sort of these, these workcations. Work, I don't know how you say it, workcations like my son's doing in Japan and Korea. And we can live free, feel free, and live like we have $10 million, even though we don't, and frankly, never will, unless we're going to get very, very lucky and be in that 0.2% or 200,000 households that actually achieve that. So that's our podcast today, episode 10. You will never be rich, but you can live like you are. You can get show notes for the podcast at moneyfortherestofus.net. If you have questions, please email me at jd at jdavidstein.com. If you would do me a favor, the podcast can get discovered most easily if it's ranked well in, in Apple iTunes. And the best way to get ranked well is to have reviews. And I, would, I know it takes time to leave a review. And, and even if you don't like the podcast, uh, go ahead and leave a review. Tim Dennehy left a, a review this past week. I very much appreciate it. He said, David, I love the way you break down complex financial subjects and bring to the surface the key and relevant factor. Look forward to your next podcast. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate that. 
Just a reminder, everything I've shared in this podcast is for general education only. I've not considered your specific situation or risk profile, so everything is general in nature in terms of education. If you have a future topic you'd like to hear about, please email me at jd at jdavidstein.com. Thanks.